Well, we are going to finish the book of James. So if you, I want to encourage you two things as we finish this message or this series. I hope you've enjoyed James. I hope you've uh, been kicked in the teeth a few times. Um, I have been. And try being the guy that has to study it and uh, apply it to my life before you get to hear it. And that's that's been challenging. Uh, But we're going to finish this up this morning, James chapter 5. And we're only going to read two verses, so don't get your hopes up that this is going to be short, but we're only going to read two verses. That was funny, Deanne. Nobody laughed except you, but that was funny. Um, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the last two verses of James kind of has a weird ending. There's no like, and greet the brothers and sisters, you know, like a lot of the epistles are like that, and James is like, and that's it, which is appropriate for James, right? Like that, you feel like that's good. So the title of this message is this, help a brother out, help a brother out or a sister. You could say sister if you want to say sister, but help a brother out or help a sister out. How many of you get by with a little help from your friends? (laughs) Come on, Beatles fans. I get by. Never mind. We're not going to do that. How many of you love friends? You got to have friends in your life, right? So I just thought to myself, what are, what are some friends that maybe we'd like to have in our life? Well, uh, I think it's good to have a friend who's kind of fearless. Don't you think that's good? Like, especially if you're more of a timid person, it's good to have a friend that like begs you to bungee jump. I'm still not going to do it, but it's good to have somebody like push you on that, right? Okay, some of you are like, no way. Uh, I think it's also good to have a friend who has a voice of reason. Like, you probably shouldn't bungee jump. That's really stupid. <laughs> Uh, or jump off that bridge, or whatever it would be. Don't do that. I think it's great to have a friend who's a really great euchre partner. I mean, I think that's like really important, right? Like they can read your eyes when you're telling them what to do. I think it's a friend. It's great to have a friend who loves your kids the way you love your kids. Actually, it's better to have a friend who loves your kids more than you love your kids. That's even better now that I think about it. I mean, it's great to have a friend who owns all the tools. Yes? Well, that's good. Just make sure you give them back. <laughs> it's, it's great to have a friend who will tell you the truth. We don't always like to hear the truth, right? But it's great to have a friend that will tell us. It's great to have a friend that will pick us up when we're down and encourage us and, and, and even challenge us when we're struggling. And, and then I thought of this one. I think it's great to have a friend who has uh, plenty of disposable income. I think that's a tremendous blessing from the Lord. And I'm in the market for a good friend right now, <laughs> if anybody has one. <laughs> I'm mostly joking. <laughs> mostly joking. <laughs> that made me laugh. That was funny. All right. You know, but James, so James gets down to the end of this, and, and really he says this, you know, when it comes to spiritual things and eternity, a good friend can be the difference between life and death. Like a good friend who loves you and loves the Lord and is willing to talk to you about the things of God and talk to you about choices in our lives that may compromise his work in us, that's a good friend. And James says to us, look, to have a friend like that, to have someone who can rescue us when we are walking towards destruction, choosing pathways that are contrary to the things of God, that kind of a friend saves us from death, saves us from eternity, saves us from things that can really end our lives. 
And I think that's what he's talking about in these last two verses. And so I just got, here's what I have for you. I have four points and you really should take notes, okay? I, I wish that I'd had these ready to go uh, to put in the app, but I did not have them ready to go. Uh, but I have four points and then in every point I have a whole sermon. I'm warning you now. Now, I'm not going to spend tons of time on it, but I, I, I looked at it and I said, man, I got four sermons out of these two verses. That's pretty good. Uh, maybe someday I'll preach the whole series. But four main points, but I want to give you some thoughts, and they will be on the screen. We've got them on the screen for you, but I think that some of them, I say that because I think some of them are important enough to write them down, to jot them down if you would. So here's the first, the main thing. What, what, why, why is it important? What's going on in our life to have a friend like that? Well, first of all, James says, look, we're prone to wonder. W-A-N-D-E-R, not W-O-N-D-E-R. Do you know the difference? We're prone to wonder. We're prone to drift away. We're prone as people. Our hearts are sort of prone kind of to wonder from the things of God. He says this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, I mean, the reality then is, look, I'm sorry, you, you Calvinists, I'm sorry. But it's possible to wander away from the truth. You can make choices in your life to what we would call in our tradition backslide away from the things of God. You know, in some ways, wondering, you know, is, is our natural propensity. I think about ancient Israel who just seemed to not be able to hold themselves together after they got through the Red Sea and they wondered. Not only did they wander in their hearts away from God, but they literally physically wandered in the wilderness, which was symbolic of them wandering away. You see that connection there, everybody? Yeah, that's what, that's what was happening in Israel. I think about the first century church. How many of the epistles that are written to us, which is the letters that we have after the book of Acts, how many of those epistles are written to a church that is struggling to stick to the truth of the things of God? I mean, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, who bewitched you to fall away from the truth that you received at first? Why are you following this other gospel? What is wrong with you people? That's what he's saying. That's the Jeff Carlson version. But what is wrong with you people? And so many of the epistles are about trying to steer the church back. And, and I, I think the, uh, the promise that we have of the last days or the end times is that the love of many will grow cold. I mean, if that's not a wandering away, I don't know what is. And so the, the, the reality that we have to grab onto is that as humans and as, even as spiritual beings, it is sort of our natural propensity to wonder. The author of Hebrews said it this way in chapter two. He said, look, you've got to pay more careful attention to what you've received from God so you don't drift away. We don't want to drift away. So how do we keep from drifting? Because here's the reality. Like, it's awesome if we can be people that rescue people who are drifting. But what about you? How about, how, how about if you and I just make a decision, we're not going to drift. I'm not going to need rescuing from anyone because I'm going to keep my life where it's supposed to be. How many of you would say, I could sign up for that? Not for me, but for you. Do you want to know how? To, here's sub-sermon number one. Do you want to know how? I got five things. Here it is. Be consistent. These are all consistent things. Be consistent in your prayer life and your devotional life. I can't tell you how many Christians fall away from the things of God, wander away from the things of God, and when you dig in, it's because they had no prayer life with God and they had no devotional life with God. They did not spend time with Jesus outside of Sunday morning. 
And I just want to say to you, this is not a condemnation thing. This is not a me beat you over the head thing. But if you have no relationship with God outside of what happens in this room at 10, from 10 to about 11.30 on Sunday morning. Some of you are like, 11.30? That's stretching it, buddy. But 10 to 11.30 on Sunday morning. And that's the, that's the sum total of your relationship with God. Friend, you are a candidate to drift. And if you want to stop drifting, you want to insulate yourself from that temptation, you've got to be consistent in your prayer life and your devotional life. Number two, you've got to be consistent with the company of good brothers and sisters. That means you've got to intentionally put yourself in a position to be around people who love God as much or more than you love God. You know why? Because if you get yourself around good company, you will adopt the things that are in that company. You get yourself around company that is bad. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. That means that if you get around people that are uh, not people of God, not interested in the things of God, that ha- is going to give you every opportunity to drift away and to wander away from the faith. So you need to be careful who you're spending time with, and you need to push in. Listen to me, friends. You need to push in farther than Sunday morning relationships. Can I say that? I'm going to say it anyway. I just said it. It's too late. You need to press in to more than a Sunday morning relationship with the people of God. Okay, I'll move on. Number three, consistent. Consistent in prayer and devos, consistent in the company of people, consistently in honest and true accountability. Honest and true accountability. Well, you can't have number three if you don't have number two. If you don't have good relationships with people who love God, you'll never enter into an honest and true accountable relationship. Why is that important? Because when we hold one another accountable to the things of God, we have a far greater likelihood that we're going to stick to the, to the narrow road. We're going to stick to the narrow road. So you need people in your life that you can be accountable to. Number four, consistent in the fear of the Lord. Listen, we need to remember that the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment are like real events. If you think that you're going to live your life and you're going to stand before God, he's just going to pat you on the back and say, hey, no problem. You are mistaken. Judgment will be real. Judgment, I mean, like the, okay, I'll tell you, so, uh, Naren had asked, Naren, is Naren in here? Naren, are you here somewhere? Why are you up there? I'm just kidding. Naren, Naren's been asking on Facebook, what's your greatest fear? You don't know what my greatest fear is? My greatest fear, I just forgot what it was. <laughs> It'll come back to me. You got to have the fear of the Lord remembering that judgment is coming and remember that fi- the final destinations are going to be determined at that judgment. Amen? We've got to pay attention to the judgment. And lastly, we've got to be consistently considering those that our drifting will affect. Do you consider those that you're drifting away or those of your wandering away will affect generationally in your life, people that you love, people that you care about, it will affect them if you allow yourself to drift. So if you do those things, you'll keep yourself from drifting. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Remember that if you are a child of God, you will never be happy in sin. You are spoiled for the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you were regenerated, there was put in you a vital principle which can never be content to dwell in the dead world. You will have to come back if indeed you belong to the family of God. 
It's a powerful word. You are, if you're in Christ, you are spoiled for the world. Number two, not only are we prone to wonder, James verse, chapter 5, verse 19 says we are one another's best chance. He says, if you wander away from the truth and someone should bring you back, someone should bring that person back. I mean, Christian, Christian history is pretty clear on this. When we do life together, we tend to do better at walking with Jesus. We tend to do better in authentic relationships, vulnerable relationships, consistent relationships, which we just talked about. How do we know that's true? I will only point you to COVID. I will only point you to the people that have not wandered back into churches because of COVID. No, you know why they're not here? You know why they're not in churches all over the world? Because they didn't have authentic, real, deep relationships with anybody. And for them, church was the thing they did on Sunday morning when they felt like it, when they weren't tired, when they weren't struggling, when they whatever, and then they would go to church and they're the ones who are no longer in church. COVID in some ways, is the first level of that whole uh, great falling away and separation that has happened. There, I think Barna said there's something like 30% of the church left the church during COVID and, none of, and they're not coming back. That's a huge statement. And so we look at that and we go, man, those people are walking by themselves. Jesus was clear in John 15. This is my commandment. Love one another the way that I've loved you. Well, how did he love us? Unto death. Have you ever thought to yourself that you need to love the brothers and sisters sitting in, this, sitting in this room with you as unto death? Are you willing to walk with me as a friend, not as a pastor, as a friend unto death? Am I willing to love you as Christ loved the church unto death? But that's what Jesus said of us. There is no greater love than this than one that lays down their life for a friend. Western Christianity has become such an individual sport. It's become such an individual thing where we focus on ourselves, on our efforts. We snuggle up to things that are comfortable for us or even areas of our life where we need to grow and we know we need to grow. But serving Jesus, being part of this thing we call the kingdom has never been an individual sport. It has always been a team sport. It's always been something for which we need one another. It is interdependent. And if you think your brand of Christianity is one that can live on its own and survive on its own and be on its own, you are already set up to drift away because it's never been intended to be like that. It's always been a team sport. So how do we be the best teammate for one another. We're each other's greatest hope to survive this thing and whatever's coming. I think it comes from Galatians chapter six, verses one through three. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, number one, be godly, you who are godly. How about, how about we live godly? Is that too much? Like it's in the book, right? So how, how about we live godly? Look, if you live godly, you're doing life with one another. Number two, he said, you who are godly should gently. How about we be gentle? Boy, that'd be a countercultural thing in America, wouldn't it? And gentleness doesn't mean you're like, well, whatever you believe is okay with me. Whatever you want is okay. With That's not gentleness, friend. 
says, you who are godly should gently, and number three, humbly, or if you don't like H's, humbly. Some people talk like that. It throws me off. <laughs> Be humble. <laughs> you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Gently and humbly. You know what that word means? It, it, here's what it means. It means recognizing that were it not for the grace of God, that could have been you. Were it not for the grace of God, it could have been you. Number four, and be careful. <laughs> Here it is. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I mean, be godly, be gentle, be humble, be careful. And then verse two, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. So be giving with your life. Be giving with your life. Don't be closed with your life. Share other people's burdens. And number six, lastly for this, this sub-sermon number two, be sober. If you think you are too important, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You're not that important. Eee. I mean, Paul channeled his inner James right there, you know? <laughs> if you think you're too important to rub shoulders with people that are struggling and hurting, bro, you're not that important. Neither am I. He said, be God, you know, here's the cool thing. If you're godly, if you're gentle, if you're humble, if you're careful, and if you're giving, guess what you'll also be? You'll be sober about yourself. You'll realize that you're not above anybody, but you can help everybody. Less important here is what you do to bring that brother or sister back. What's more important here, I think that's what this passage in Galatians is saying, what's more important here is how your being is demonstrated by love. How you conduct yourself, how you're being, not what you do. Does that make sense, the difference there between being and doing? Without one another in the end when it gets tough. And I just, I, look, I just wanna tell you, it's gonna get way tougher than it is. If you think it's hard now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You, you, you've not, like persecution hasn't even started yet, right? I mean, it has in other parts of the world, but it hadn't come to our shores yet, and it's coming. And if you think you can survive that without the love and the compassion and the care and the connectivity of brothers and sisters in Christ, you realize that's the only way that the first century church survived was that they had one another. Remember what it says in Acts 2? This is a whole side note, and I really shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. Acts chapter 2, it says they had everything in common. That means like they lived for one. They were under vast amounts of persecution unto death, but they had everything in common and they shared their life and they supported one another even as they were in prison or, or unto death. Uh, my personal opinion, this is Jeff, not, not necessarily the Bible, but Jeff, we're gonna face similar things. Our brothers and sisters all over the world are facing them now. You think America's got some corner on the market for that? It's coming our way, and we have to be ready to live in life and love and relationship with one another. So uh, <clears throat> we're prone to wonder. We are one another's best shot. Number three, we, when we reach to one another, we are saving them from death. Remember this, verse 20, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. Here's the thing. The stakes are really, really high. 
We are not saving them from themselves. We're not saving them from some bad decisions. We're not saving people from difficulty in life and problems that we see coming down the way based on the choices that they're making. We are literally dealing with eternal life or eternal death when it comes to a brother or sister who's wandered away from the faith. Too often, we resort to prayer only. Well, I'll pray for them. Or maybe prayer talking, which is when I say to Deanne, hey, we just need to really pray for this person because they're going through all these things and here's what's happening and they've struggled with their faith. And, and really what we're doing is prayer gossiping. But I'll be nice and call it prayer talking. We don't actually pray, we just talk about it. And too often we resort to those things. Too rare do we actually reach out to re in a rescue attempt to pull someone out of the snares of death. How do we do that? How do we rescue them? Ephesians 4, verse 14. I, I won't read it all, 14 and 15, but number one, recognize the importance of immaturity and maturity. It says, look, if you want to be mature, we, we've got to do our work so that we will no longer be immature like children. So look, if you're going to reach out and rescue somebody, I feel like this is a harder message than I thought it was going to be. Sorry, just a side note. That's called ADD. Uh, I <laughs> recognize that importance because if we're going to reach out to people in love and compassion with all those bees we just talked about, we're going to have to be mature people of faith. We're going to have to actually like live our faith and uh, own our faith and stop with the immaturity. So recognizing that important. Number two, recognizing, uh, here's a theological word, goofiness. Recognizing goofiness from authenticity. He says we won't be, Paul's writing Ephesians, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind and new teaching. Look, every book that Zondervan prints shouldn't be read. Some of it's garbage. So what happens? How do we know? Well, we need maturity so we can have discernment to discern goofiness from authenticity. That was good, Pastor Jeff. You should say that again. I won't, but you'll have to watch it online. Number three, recognize the importance of maturity, recognize goofiness from authenticity, and recognize the power of influence. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Boy, if that's not going on today, I don't know what is. Number four, recognize the importance of actual truth. Instead, Paul says, we will speak the truth. Well, I just want to tell you, if you start speaking the truth, people aren't going to like you very much. And so that's one of the reasons the church has stopped speaking the truth and is speaking goofiness. And by church, I mean capital C church. Friends, we got to stop that nonsense. We need to speak the truth. But how do we speak it? Number five, recognize the power of truth when spoken in love. Recognize love. He says, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body. I like this quote. It doesn't have, uh, didn't have an author, so I don't know who wrote it. Speaking the truth in love is not as much about having a gentle demeanor as it is about the way truth and love go hand in hand. Because we love one another, we must speak the truth. Amen? And, and here's the proof. proof. You, when your kid gets in trouble, you tell them the truth about it. Right? Why? You don't lie to them and say, oh, you didn't really, you know. No, you're like, bro. 
You probably don't call them bro, but sometimes I do. You tell them the truth. Cause, why? Because you love them. We should treat one another no differently. We, we, we must speak the truth. Because we know the truth, we must be people characterized by love. Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth as his followers. We who are being conformed to his image, we should also be characterized by grace and truth. I thought that was really good. We are prone to wonder. We are one another's best hope. We are saving from death. And lastly, we have all received mercy. This last little phrase that James writes in his epistle tells us this. Don't ever forget the mercy that you've received when you're dealing with a brother or a sister who's fallen. Don't ever forget how gracious the Lord has been to you. He says when we do that, it covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. I mean, when we've been part of saving from death, brother and sisters restored to right relationship, I want you to catch a difference, a difference here. Sins are cleansed. Who does, who does the cleansing of sins? Jesus. Jesus, as we bring them back to the cross, Jesus reaches in and he cleanses their sin as if they never happened. That's what salvation does, right? It cleanses. That's not the word that James used. He said that our sins are covered. I want you to notice a theological difference here. Stay with me. He's not talking about the work of Christ. That is implied that as someone comes back to Christ, the Lord is going to cleanse their sin and they're going to be back in right relationship with him. What he's talking about is covering sins they've committed against us in their wondering. See, a wondering heart wreaks havoc on those who care for them. A wandering heart causes pain and difficulty for themselves and for others. A wandering heart can be given to anger and gossip and outlash, uh, 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 lashing out at people and wounds and all. I mean, how many of you know a wounded heart causes more harm? What's the phrase? Hurt people? Hurt people. So James is not talking about the cleansing that God does in someone's heart and someone's life. He's saying to us as brothers and sisters, as we've loved them, as we've cared for them, as we've led them back to the cross, now we have to forgive them. And that forgiveness covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs chapter 10. Hatred which is a brother who's wondered, stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. How can this take place? Last sermon, number four. Number one, continue to see the end coming. This comes from 1 Peter chapter four. How do we, how do we forgive? Well, we've got to keep the end in mind. The end, Peter said, the end of the world is coming. I mean, if Peter saw it in the first century, we should certainly see it in the 21st century. Number two, continue in earnest and disciplined prayer life. Continue in earnest and disciplined prayer life. Therefore, he says in, in verse eight, there, or verse seven, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Number three, continue in showing love. Most important of all. Oh, don't you love it when they say something like that? Like above everything else, more important than anything I've said to this point, continue 
showing love, demonstrating what it is to love a brother or sister who's wandered from the faith. Number four, not only continue showing love, continue in deepening love, continue that deep love for one another, even those that have wounded us and hurt us and wandered away and caused us pain. Continue, number five, in continual forgiveness. Why? Peter says it again. I mean, you, you almost think like these guys were hearing from the same source when they wrote these, like the Holy Spirit maybe. He says, continue deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. Love leads to forgiveness. If you really love the way Jesus loved, if you really live that life, you save someone from death, but you're willing to overlook, you're willing to forgive, you're willing to be an easy forgiver. You're willing to let go of how they've hurt you and wounded you. Man, I'm not saying it's easy. Some people say it this way, it's easy to forgive really hard to forget we've all received mercy from God though and the Bible says he doesn't remember our sins he doesn't he throws them as far as the east is from the west so we don't understand he doesn't remember that we remember them he doesn't remember them other people tend to remember sins that we've committed against them and James is like look guys if you can restore somebody back to faith the Lord's going to cleanse their sin but bro you've got to forgive them too You've got to let go of the pain that they caused. You've got to cover it over. And if you love them enough, if we love each other enough in the things of God, those sins will be covered. They'll be covered over. So two questions as we close. Are you in a place this morning of wondering? As you look at the landscape of your life and you look at the decisions you're making, and the place that you are today, are you wandering from the faith or are you in danger of wandering from the faith? Are you nibbling up to that edge, cozying up to things in the world that you know you've got no business cozying up with? Can I just give you three admonitions? Stop it! Stop it! Come back to him. Come back to his mercy. Remember what Spurgeon said, and he's right. You're ruined for the world. You think you're going to find favor and love and peace and all the things that you're seeking in the world. Friend, you're ruined for the world. It cannot offer you what Jesus offers. Come back to him and receive the mercy and be restored. Are you wondering or in danger? And secondly, do you know a brother or sister who is actively wondering, somebody in your family, someone in your sphere of influence, somebody who's wandering from the faith they once were passionate and, and loving lo lovers of God and the things of God, but if, they're, if you're honest about where they are and maybe you've been apprehensive, maybe you've been, you know, I don't know if I should say something to them, they seem really offended and really hurt and you know, I don't know what I should say to them. Can I just say, the Bible's really clear, Make every effort to reach out. Make every effort to pull them back. Be prepared as you reach out. Say, man, I don't, I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what you've been through. I just feel like, and I notice you're just struggling with God again, or, or now you're struggling with the Lord, and I just want to check in because I don't want you to die. But that's what's at stake. I don't want you to wander from the faith and not be, ever be able to be brought back again. I want you to know him. Be prepared in that moment to lead them back to the cross, but be prepared for them to respond negatively. 
Because there's no guarantee as we reach out that that person is going to go, you're right, and then break down. And I hope that happens. But you know what? Here's what I think, because I think God is gracious. I think there'll be a day in their life, if they respond negatively, there'll be a day in their life when they do respond. It may not be to you. It may be to somebody else that reach out to them. It may be in a service. You know, they, it's like the prodigal son. They come to their senses and go, I got to go home. Here's what I truly believe. The seed that you plant by reaching bravely into their life and saying to them, come home, come home. When you're in heaven, your seed's the one that they'll acknowledge. Your seed, having the guts to try to bring a brother or sister back to the cross is the seed that they'll say, thank you for planting that seed in my life. It didn't produce fruit for many months or years or whatever it was, but you plant it, you faithfully plant it. So listen, don't ever hesitate to plant a seed in a, in a wandering brother or sister's life because they'll come back. So I want you to close your eyes with me and bow your head and I want to address these two questions this morning. Are you here? And if you're honest with yourself, I know you're in church, so you're punching the right you know, the right card, if you will. But if you're honest with yourself, you'd say, you know, Pastor, I, I am drifting. I, I, I am. I, I, I'm on that edge. I'm trying to figure out, you know, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve the world? And I've just, you know, gone through some stuff and some stuff I've been disappointed. Some stuff's happened in my life, whatever it would be. Maybe you're watching online because you, you've been one of those COVID people and you stayed away from the church. And if you're honest with yourself, you recognize there's a drifting happening in my soul. You'd say, you know what, today I gotta come home. I gotta come home. I gotta, I gotta stop this drifting. If you're in the room right now and that's you, I want you to lift your hand. I wanna see you. Just acknowledge you, put it down. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Others, you're just drifting. You're just drifting. Thank you, I see. Thank you. Others, you need to come home. You gotta stop rowing against the stream. I'm looking around because I think this is a holy moment. Thank you, young man. Others, you need to come home today. He's calling you home. You hear it in your soul. Thank you. You hear it in your soul. You hear him. Thank you, young man. Thank you. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Others, I'm waiting just a moment, just a moment more. This is your chance. Come home. If you're watching online, you need to respond where you are. You hear the Holy Spirit calling to you. You hear him speaking to your life. You need to respond right now to him. Secondly, you're here this morning and you recognize in your life there's a brother, there's a sister, there's a loved one who's drifting. And you know God is asking you to reach out to them to, to see if they're ready to come home or not, to see if they're ready to come back to the Father's house. You know that person's there. You can see their picture right now in your mind. You hear the Holy Spirit screaming their name in your heart, and you know what he's saying. If that's you, I want you to just acknowledge it to the Lord. God, I hear you. Would you just lift your hand to the Lord? This isn't a repentance moment. This is just, man, God, I hear you. I hear that voice. I hear what you're saying. I hear it. Come on, all over the room, if that's you, lift your hand. Thank you. Praise the Lord. 
I believe that the Lord is going to tell you what to do and how to do it. So I want you to stand with me right now all over the room. And I'm going to pray first for the people that raise their hand about coming home. You raise your hand about coming home. I want to pray for you. And while I pray for you, I want you to tell God, look, you're coming home. So I want you to tell God what you need to tell God right now in this moment. Don't check out right now. Don't check your phone. Don't start looking, you know, what am I gonna, where am I going to eat lunch? This is the moment. This is your moment. Can you tell God what you need to tell God? Father, you saw their faith as you drew them home. God, Holy Spirit, I know you're drawing them home and they're like the prodigal. They're coming to their senses and recognizing that they must change their way. They must change the direction, the trajectory of their life. They must begin to call on your name again and put their hearts squarely into your hands so that you can heal what has been broken and what has been defeated. So Lord, as they pray to you right now, would you respond to them? Would you forgive their sin? Would you wash away their stain? Would you cleanse them, Lord, and make them fresh and new in in your sight, God? And God, I pray, we welcome them into the family of God. We welcome them back home. This is like homecoming, God. We welcome them home. They've been away for a while, but now they're home, God, and we rejoice. We won't be the older brother, God. We won't be that guy but we'll rejoice, God, that they're here. And we'll be gentle, and we'll be kind, and we'll be loving, and we'll be careful as we serve you together. In Jesus' name, I I hope you prayed a prayer. I hope you received the Lord. Now, the rest of us, can we lift our hands, and I want you to call the name of that person before the Lord, and I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to do about it. I don't want you to come up with your own plan. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Come on, just lift your hands all over the room. If you didn't know of somebody, ask the Lord to show you someone. Father, it's our responsibility. It's our joy. It's our privilege, God. It's our honor to call home those that have wandered away. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that are represented here by that uplifted hand, God, that you have already put them on our heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would tell us what to do. Tell us how to reach into their spirit. Tell us how to say the right things in the right moment in the right way. Father, to draw them back to you. And God, if that's not what it is, and we don't have a name in our heart, would you begin to show us, God, when we go to school tomorrow, when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to the restaurant today, whatever we're going to do, Lord, I pray that we would have spiritual eyes and we'd see through people's hearts and lives to somebody who needs to come home. God, that we'd recognize a brother and a sister who's wandered from the faith and begin to draw them back, God, to you gently and lovingly and kindly and carefully. God, I pray that in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, supernaturally to see brothers and sisters who have wandered and need to come home for your glory, for your glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing together before we go. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. If you need to spend time at at this altar, this altar is open. You can come. You can pray. Somebody will pray with you, I promise. It'll be a great moment if you need to spend time with God. Otherwise, I love you, church. Let's worship the Lord before we go today.